This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey there, Knicks fans. How the hell are you? It's uh, your boy, John of the Macri, uh, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Uh, of course, I am with here with uh, I'm with here. It's been it's been that kind of a day. It's been that kind of a week. I am here with my co-host, of course, the one and only Jeremy Cohen. Um, we have some uh, we have some Knicks talk to get to that I, I think will actually be kind of interesting. Uh, but first, we each have a little story, I guess, to come in with. Jeremy, you want to go first or do you want me to go? Um, I'll go first just because I think yours is probably more uplifting. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know, I don't know although I don't that. know the story, honestly, because I know you were saying for the pod. Uh, yeah, no, everything's fine. I just, um, I don't know, today was like the first day where I really got cabin fever in that it's just the world. It's come to a full stop and yet um, – you know, like it's, it's obviously hard not to interact with your friends, but you know, it's, it's fine in that situation. I know just speaking personally, I, I haven't seen my girlfriend in quite a while. So it's, it's hard when they're a couple States away. And, um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's just, this was like the first day where it really was like, Oh man, this, uh, this sucks. This really sucks. But we're getting through it. Things seem to be sort of progressing depending on where you are. Of course. I mean, it's, it's just, um, it's not great or good, but um, glimmers of hope. So, yeah, you know, you, you just you get over it. You say for the greater good and you just you just keep chugging along. I, I wanted you to share that because I, I feel like uh, I feel like a lot of people are probably getting to that point. So, um, yeah, um, I I've been spending a lot of time contemplating the meaning of life uh, myself. That's just me. Um, I thought, too, honestly, it was something about uh, there's a Reddit question where someone said like are you more afraid that there's life out there or that there isn't life out there like what would be a more concerning thought and because i have little else to do on weekends i just started thinking it and i got into this rabbit hole of like well what happens when the sun explodes and we're not even here for it what does it all mean what's it for so yes i i kind of i know i said before the pod that i wasn't thinking more in terms of like a philosophical or existential standpoint but i um I don't think that's true. I think I have been. So it, it's, yeah. <laughs> well, that that's good that you're thinking about that. Um, somebody should. Uh, I, I can't because it scares the shit out of me. Uh, I, I'm thinking it's more terrifying. like, what's that? It's terrifying. I hate it. Yeah. No, it's it's not good. Um, I, yeah, I'm just more like, you know, this is so, I don't know what the, what the, it's, it's not a good adjective, um, but like the realization that like, 
you know, because I, I, I'm very honest with, with the listeners, so I'll be honest now. It's like being able to write about the Knicks and have an audience and podcast and the whole thing. It's, you know, it feels like it's it's given me a bit of purpose over the last couple of years. And um, without them, it's like, well, you know, I, I look, I still have my wife. I still have my daughter. And, and that's honestly what I've been leaning into much more than anything is like just spending a ton of time with uh, with them and, and specifically my daughter and. Uh, so if anybody out there has like DM'd me and they're like, what, what the hell is Macri doing? He's in quarantine. He's not getting back to me. I promise you the reason I'm not getting back to you is because I'm playing either Legos. Um, Legos is a big one. Um, or, um, we have a couple of like board games, um, or what the hell is, oh, the latest one is we play, we play monster. And then to escape the monster, we have to form a, a fort out of pillows. So for those wondering- Sounds fun. Yeah, that's what I've been doing with my time. Um, but yeah. hey, women and children come and go. The Knicks are forever. <laughs> that's so. I, again, you have one line every episode that just <laughs> it gets gets me at my core. Um, so that, I'm happy you got to share that story. Uh, or and it wasn't a story; it's just more like what's going on in your head. Because again, I think everybody's going through it right now, and it is what it is. Um, no, my my story that I had, uh, I texted so. Uh, we were scheduled to begin this pod at 4.30. Uh, and for those at home, I, I texted Jeremy uh, saying I'm going to be until at least 4.45. And I was on time. I did make that time. The yeah. reason is because today was the day that my wife and I decided we were going to try to make drunken noodles at home. Um, <laughs> for the we, We've never made, forget drunken noodles. We've never made any like, like I, I don't know if all, drunken noodles counts as like an authentic Asian dish, but it's the most authentic Asian thing we've ever attempted to cook at home. So where we got all of our ingredients prepared and I'm about to throw the, the noodles into a pot of boiling water. And then I look at the instructions and it says the way to cook the noodles. If you're making drunken noodles is to let them sit in like a bath of warm, like warm tap water or hot tap water for 35 minutes. So I'm like, Oh, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So threw off my whole timeline. Um, so we kind of, compromised and we like used the pot of boiling water that we had boiling. We threw some ice cubes in it and then dumped the noodles in and um, it turned out. Okay. Um, other than the fact that we made way too many noodles. Um, That's not a problem. You can never have it, enough noodles. It wasn't a problem except I, I, and if anybody out there has ever made anything like this before, please message me or like email me like whatever. I, the recipe called for four cups of noodles and we had two packs of noodles and each of the packs of noodles said 16 ounces. So eight ounces to a cup. I said, all right, two packs of noodles. It seemed like a preposterous amount of noodles at the time, but I'm like, I have to follow the directions. I, clearly the, the cup that it was referring to was, was very different than what, like, I don't know. Something was off. Maybe you got to cup your hands. Is what yeah, I don't, I, whatever it was. So as I contemplate the meaning of life and the meaning of noodles, um, we do have uh, the Knicks and we do have some, some top, I, I would say a couple topics to get to. Um, so <laughs> this is funny. So we both had pieces this week, right? When did mine come out? I, I had mine on Monday and yours was on Tuesday. Yes. Uh, Scout's honor. I swear on my daughter. I did not know what the gist of your article was going to be before you sent it to me. And you didn't even send it to me. You just posted it, right? Yeah, and I obviously didn't know what you were going to post. No, you had no idea. 
little did we know that we were writing two things that were completely and totally <laughs> opposed with one another. Um, so let's see, I guess we, we could each go through quickly what we wrote and we could see if we can make heads or tails of this. Um, and then we'll, we'll touch quickly on something that uh, a report that Ian Bagley had also this week, which I think is, is pertinent. So I basically wrote that. And for those who, who didn't read it, I'll, I'll basically just say it. Um, I looked at the free agent landscape, you know, moving forward. And we, it feels like all the time on this podcast, we're always talking about like the wisdom of saving max cap space. And it's like, I feel like almost sometimes when we have, it's not even us, when like people, like Nick fans, have this conversation about max cap space, it's like, okay, there's Giannis, he's there, and then there's like other stuff. And I feel like we don't often go in depth on like, okay, well, let's say Giannis doesn't want to take our max cap space. Um, should we decide to keep it intact for, for next summer? Um, like what else is out there to spend the money on? And, and specifically what like franchise altering players are out there that you'd actually want to sign to a max deal. And what I, I, not that I found, cause I kind of realized I've thought about all these players individually, but I think the valuable exercise for me and you could tell me what you think was kind of putting it all down on paper and and kind of realizing that other than Giannis and um and Kawhi, there's not anybody that's coming on the free agent market until I would argue 2023 that I would define as a franchise changer. Now that said, Bradley Beal has a player option; he could become a free agent in 2022. Um, I think Anthony Davis is going to sign for two years to get him back into free agency as a 10-year max guy, also in 2022. Um, so those are two names I guess you could kind of add to the list. Everybody else that's like really good is also really old when they hit the market. You know, Curry, 34. Harden, 33. Um, Jimmy Butler, almost 33. It's like these guys are not young. So my point, and, and then I'll turn it over to you, was was very simple. Which is basically that, yes, flexibility is important, but I think what I'm I'm starting to realize is that I am falling into the the, the camp of if they're not going to tank, I just want them to make the team as good as possible and let the chips fall where they may, salary wise, and see where that gets them. And that's a that's a much longer discussion that maybe we get into a little bit on this episode, but without getting all, all the full away all the way into it, I feel like it's a good time to turn it over uh to you because you had a very different point of view. Yeah, well, the article I wrote for Tuesday, it was basically about what I was talking about uh, in previous pods with just opening up cap space for various opportunities. And this one was for the double max. Um I'm glad I finished it because now I don't have to talk about it anymore because I don't feel that it is going to be the most uh, realistic situation that Rose goes through. Maybe for a lot of fans, it's the most optimal because you're still allowing for that kind of space. But the other thing is you can always create it if the opportunity arises. Now, does that mean get a bunch of long-term contracts on your books? No, it certainly doesn't. But 
to me, it was the sort of thing where it's exploring what it would take to, to do that and the steps that you would need. And it was just laying it out. People can make their own um, conclusions from that. That was really my goal. Um, but through reading your article, and I know you also, I'd love to hear your thoughts because I feel like you did in a lot of ways get a uh, shot the messenger situation this past week when you wrote about Kevin Love and uh, <laughs> you like that one, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, and if not for other people, I personally would love to hear what your thoughts are, not so much as evaluating, but but what your personal beliefs are in terms of acquiring. Sure. Uh, and then I can kind of proceed from there. But yeah, with your article, you brought up great points in terms of the timing that these free agents are available and what kind of stars that they are. Um, and as I was going through it, and I took copious notes, not because there were holes but in, in your arguments, but because it was just everything started to, it was like word vomit on the online for me. And as I was doing this, I realized like, holy shit, I wrote this exact article three months ago. And I couldn't believe it was only January where I talked about like, this is how the Knicks do the draft. If they don't, or this is what they want to do for free agency. If that doesn't work, they could look at the trade route. If that doesn't work, there's the draft. If that doesn't work. I remember that. I remember that article. Right. So it, it, to me, it was like nothing really has changed by that point. But at the same time, a lot of Things have like we probably didn't know for certain that Steve Mills is going to be gone. I thought sometime in late January that there was a very good chance he would be. But I didn't think when I hit publish that or when I published the article that that would be a realistic situation. So, um, yeah, I mean, there's one other thing if I could jump in very quickly before this season. I think I this is me personally. I don't know if anybody else had this had this thought, but like. 2000, the summer of 2021 was a two full year. It was two full years away. A lot could happen in two years in terms of the perception of a franchise, how much the players within the franchise, obviously on the roster, grow, all that, you know, uh, that aspect of it. And now we, we got from there to an abbreviated season. And it's like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, wow, it's two years just got turned into one. And the question then becomes it's like, okay, well, it's one thing to take two years and be like, oh, maybe in two years we might be more appealing to a guy like Giannis. No, no, no. Now it's just one year. And I, sh- that's, that's really where that was that more than anything was my impetus to, to even write the piece and to look at this. Right. And for me, it's kind of like, you can definitely plan on that, but I think the nets, and again, if you want to view them as a good blueprint, go right ahead. I, I'm honestly ambivalent because I think that it worked and that's the bottom line for them. But it only took them one season really to go from a laughable franchise to, hey, look, we made the playoffs. And then two months later, they signed Kevin Durant well, and Kyrie Irving. There's and a of caveat course, that, though. Well, there are several caveats, but the point I'm making- There's one big one that Kevin well, Durant course, wanted to Ky- play in New York and he wanted to play with right. Kyrie Irving. Right. And the other thing is you have to look at that Kyrie Irving was a Nets fan growing yes, up. That too. And they're also, again, there are layers to this. It's, it's, um, it's not super simple. I mean, the other thing is there are the rumors that Kevin Durant wasn't necessarily offered a max contract, max contract. And if that's the case, then, I mean, that automatically rules the Knicks out anyway. But uh, just with all that being said, yes, it, it really, you can keep building for something and that can prove your track record is longer. But these players have somewhat short memories in terms of what a team looks like. This but is true. What I think what I think what you're very accurate on is the perception of the Knicks in that pretty much every single player 
in the league. Um, okay, I shouldn't say every single player. Let me put it this way. I'd say maybe if you're a player drafted within the last, um, well, certainly seven years, but um, really, I mean, any guy over the last 12 or so has almost no understanding of when the Knicks were good. And if that's the case, that reputation does kind of go with you. The stink doesn't really wear off. But it takes one year to essentially say like, hey, we're up and coming. We're young. We've got cap space. We're doing well. And so I guess before we go into kind of the bigger picture, this is where I'd love to hear your thoughts on Chris Paul, Kevin Love, and sure. then uh, we can tackle that and then move on. I So a couple things. It can change in a hurry, and it could change – by if Leon, if the if you know, as soon as we get off the air, Leon Rose decide um, not decides. It's not his decision. But if he, um, I always get get the name wrong. Bobby Bobby Webster, right? Is the guy in Toronto? Yes. Okay. So if they if if he gets Dolan's okay to offer Bobby Webster, you know, three times what he's making as GM of the Raptors, and Bobby Webster comes in here. And then over the course of the next three months, we read through, you know, Begley and and Bondi and Berman and all these people that the Knicks have completely and totally revamped their behind the scenes, right? Um, top to bottom. Um, and they draft uh, LaMelo Ball and lo and behold, uh, day one, oh shit, LaMelo Ball has a jump shot. Um, it's, it's not, the percentages aren't that high, but as Luka Doncic showed us, uh, they don't need to be. For you to sell people on being like a, a do it all threat, um, and Lamelo Ball is like a do it all threat. One thousand percent, it could all turn around in like you know the the proverbial snap of a finger. I, I guess, I guess where I'm coming at this from is that even if all of that happens. I'm not sure that there is the like be all end all need to keep every dollar flexible. And what I mean by that is, is not because again, it's so it's funny because Nick fans, they're my age, right? We have memories that go back to, I guess it was probably a little bit after you were born. um, The early aughts, When Scott Layden in the span of like two years essentially got them so far into cap hell that the only way out of it was for Isaiah Thomas to get them even even further into cap hell um, and trade away, (laughs) trade away picks while doing it Um, that the contracts are shorter, like uh, Shannon Anderson, right? You've heard the name Shannon Anderson before. I I know you vaguely know who he is. Um, Shannon Anderson was signed to a six year contract. So, you know, that can't happen anymore. Um, not to mention the fact that the league uh, has a cap that is about three or in a year or two, it'll be three times as high as it was then. Here's my point. I think it's a lot harder to box yourself in with contracts that are like unmovable. And I, I think more, more to the point. Um, and I, I know I've said this before and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but like we're in an era of player movement that if star X decides I'm going to go play there, 
guess what? Star X is like, he's going to find a way to play here. And yeah, might it be ugly in terms of the picks you need to trade away to dump contract X or contract Y or contract Z? Sure. I'm not, and I'll be the first person to admit that. What I will also say is that that's a great, great, great problem to have. If you get to that point where somebody that good makes you like, yeah, we're going to trade away everything just to get this guy in the door. So I, it's, I guess it's, it's less about, and we could talk specifically about love and, and Paul. Um, it's, but it's not about like either of them or like any particular player. It's more about like, let's, if we're not going to tank, which is a, a separate conversation, I, I think just make the team as good as possible and let the chips fall where they may. Does that make sense? Yes, but I would say make the team as good as possible in the shorter term than in the longer term. Um, and can, it, isn't again, that like we'll, being we'll, a little bit we'll, pregnant, though? Not really. How, no, can, and I then mean, I you, explain it more because I'm, I'm I, I don't I, I think there's something I'm not understanding in, in what your what your point is. Sure. So just to go back to the last iteration of the Nets, for example, um, basically they were able to find replacement players. In that, um, yes, they had an, an all-star in D'Angelo Russell. Yes, and they leveraged what he was able to do, and getting the most out of guys like Joe Harris and Jared Allen, Spencer Dinwiddie, all these other players, and clear up enough cap space. They traded Allen Crab to the Hawks, and essentially say, "This is what we can do with good players. Think about what we can do with great players." And if you think about it, sure, if if the Nets were – if they had longer contracts under the books or on the books, right, and Kyrie and KD said, no, we're going to Brooklyn, you're absolutely right. They would do everything in their power to make it work. But the whole point is to avoid having to do that if you are able to clear some space and do something. So for example, um, like one option could be that the Knicks sign a player this summer to a longer-term contract and another player to a short-term one. That would allow you the chance to be in that sweet spot of what you're saying, half pregnant and fully pregnant. We could call it, or, or you know, no, not pregnant and, and <laughs> whatever you want to say. I get, the point, I get where the you're going with the analogy. That, <laughs> right. The point being is that you then yeah. enter a situation where uh, if you sign a good enough player to a longer contract, and for some reason, if you wanted to make an upgrade, you'd be able to find a home for him easily. But we're honestly in an era where teams want control over contracts as much as they can. I mean, what team wouldn't, but players have shown that contracts are, they're not, they're not, they're not, they're not really contracts. They're just like, you can kind of do what you want. They're suggestions. Um, <laughs> right. Like, Oh, you have to play here. Well, I'm currently playing here, but I certainly have as much leverage here as the team wants to think that they do. Yeah. Um, so with that said, it's like, yes, if you figured out a situation where, uh, if the Knicks, let's let's say they draft a wing and um, a lead guard in the first round, okay. uh, whatever order you want to pick, doesn't matter. Just I think that's a safe assumption. If you are then to sign a veteran ball handler like a Fred Van Vliet, and the reason you do that is because your goal is to show as much progress as quickly as possible, and then if you had a player like a Joe Harris type who was on a big one-year contract, gives him the chance to then hit the market when things are more open, then you're suddenly an upgraded team. Um, the worst is being in that 
that stage where you're uh, too good to make you're too good to be bad and you're not good enough yeah. to make the playoffs. Gotcha. So that would be something to avoid. But I guess to, to kind of bring it full circle, it, would you say that it's a safe assumption or can, can we at least agree that the salary cap, which was pro- projected to be one hundred fifty million dollars, could go down to, let's say, one hundred and six million? Is that something that it's going that down? You think would, Right. Yeah, it's it's going down. So, I, I think the the only question is how much, and I I think one oh, I think somewhere between one hundred and like yeah one oh six is is a good estimate. Sure. So the thing that I think about with Chris Paul and with Kevin Love is that Brock Aller is too smaller. Aller, I have to. I, I'm sorry, I have to correct you. No, you're right because I, I was corrected on my own show a few days ago. <laughs> That's I I did hear that. You know I. I listened to the pod and I still got it wrong. I think it's because in French you have "alle," which is to go. Look at and, you, uh, never go missing ahead. an opportunity to just to show that you are a member of the uh, Renaissance man. What can I say? Yeah, I was about to say the bourgeois. <laughs> the bourgeoisie is the fancy people, right? Um, <laughs> the bush. Yes, yeah. Um, Did I pronounce it yeah. wrong? Uh, what? Did I pronounce it wrong? I think I probably pronounced it wrong. I'm the not. Bourgeoisie. I'm not sophisticated. Yeah, anyway, anyway, yes. So. Um, with with Aller, basically, I think he's too smart to take in forty percent of dead cap and leave it at that. Um, and and yeah. like in Chris Paul's case or in Kevin Love's case, it's thirty percent, um, or or possibly higher depending on where the cap falls. So that that's my biggest concern. And I think that there are other ways to do it, and him doing it differently would be far better for the Knicks. Um, I completely agree with you. Um, and let me, we've been, we've been stringing this along long enough. I, I, I don't want the Knicks to trade for Kevin Love, which I actually said, it, the funny thing is everybody, uh, got all over the, the SI piece. I said, uh, at some point towards the end, I said, in the end, it does not make sense for the Knicks to trade for, for Kevin Love. But the reason I wrote it and the reason I'm, I, I thought it was important to have this conversation now is just because, it's, well, I guess, how, what, what else other way is there to say it? But like, it's worthy of a conversation, which is that, which is, I guess, kind of bringing it back to the same point that I've been making is if they're not going to tank, they need to, they need to build the best team possible. And I think your point is that Kevin Love uh, taking up somewhere between 30 and 40% of the cap, depending on where the cap ends up is there is essentially no, aside from Cleveland getting religion and, and deciding to attach assets to get rid of his contract, which even then I think is a tough one. I, I don't think there's any universe where that is the um, option that allows you to build the best team possible. Um, so no, I, I don't, I I don't think that that's a good idea. Um, Chris Paul, I actually think is a more interesting conversation. And here's why. Um, If, you know, like we just fantasized about uh, the, the Knicks get religion and turn this thing around through the circumstances that I said a bit ago, um, and they are an appealing uh, destination in the summer of 2021. At that point, what's going to be a harder contract to move? Chris Paul's expiring 40, was it $47 million, $48 million? $45. $45 million. Or the theoretical final three years and 70, eh, let's say, 
let's say $72 million left on Fred Van Fleet's deal. That's probably a little bit rich. Let's say $66 million. Um, let's give Brock Aller the benefit of the doubt and that he maybe makes it a, a decreasing salary. Which of those two contracts is easier to trade? I I don't know. I'm just I'm throwing it out there as but, like. But in that in that case, what you're basically saying is, what's better, a starting caliber player on an expensive contract, or a guy who will be 36 years old making essentially a third of your salary who, cap? Who, um, but hold on, who, who's also arguably still today the third, fourth, fifth best guard in basketball? I know that's insane, but he might make the All NBA second team this year. I'm just saying it's a conversation. Do I want them to go give up assets for Chris Paul? At the end of the day, no, I don't. I don't want them to do that. But you do you you don't even think it's a consideration at all? I really don't. It's it doesn't really do anything. I think that the biggest thing is it's it's the Knicks need a veteran ball handler and it's good PR. Because of the fact that and, he, as we've talked about, he's the head of the NBPA. He is a former client of Leon Rose's. It, it, and on paper, it all makes sense. But I, I really think that Brock Aller it, it did not come from Cleveland to New York to have a promotion to then basically trade for a, 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 what is essentially probably going to be a player who is declining. Now, again, Chris Paul had an incredible season. Of I'm course not he's declining. He I'm, I'm not. Player. Yeah. But no, 100%. And, I know you wrote about it where look at how many players after 35,000 minutes or 34,000, whatever it was at the time, uh, have dropped off and how rare this, <laughs> two, this type of season two, is. Two have not dropped off and they're Jason Kidd and John Stockton who physically um, are, it's, it's not, Chris Paul's a different, he's a different body type, he's a different build, he's a different height, he's a different everything, different injury history. I get all of that, and I don't disagree with a word of it, but I, I guess it's, again, it's not about Chris Paul per se, even though he's the obvious example. It's about the philosophical decision to get as good as you can without necessarily worrying about things like money, timeline, Age, And I know that may sound a little insane, but you use the example of the Nets, did you not? So, right. I, but the difference is that you have to be, you have to try to be the best iteration of yourself if you're really going to go for it without compromising the future. And my, my and and again, I, which is why I asked the question, which of the contracts is more tradable? And I guess my larger point, just to actually say it explicitly, because I'm implying it, I haven't actually said it out loud, is do the superstars that you're trying to attract care who's on the roster as much as they care about oh that franchise showed it could put one foot in front of the other because clearly Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving ain't care about D'Angelo Russell being in Brooklyn they cared about the fact that Brooklyn went out and made a smart trade for D'Angelo Russell um and I think in the next year or less than a year when we see Karis LeVert and Jared Allen and um who's the other guy that's probably going to go out in that deal traded for Bradley Beal or whom the fuck ever it's going to be even more proof of the fact that players care about situations and not the guys on the roster and yes of course the roster is part of the situation but you you get where I'm going with this don't you Yeah but but my point is this you can move Fred Van Vliet and you have the assets to do so, but I don't think you would even need to dump his contract because well, hopefully not. <laughs> playing, right. But he would be playing at a level that is starting caliber where if you're a small market team and let's say you're in, like, 
Look at Orlando, for example, right? Let's say that they're in a position where they still need a lead guard of some sort. And he presents himself because all of a sudden the Knicks, you know, benefited in some way and it's great. And so what happens as a result is the Knicks need to dump a player, but it's really not it's it's almost not even dumping him because you're getting him back. You're just trading him for another asset. It's turning your cap space. Let me put it this way. It's basically if you sign Marcus Morris to a longer contract and still signed him and still traded him for a good deal because it's using your cap space as an asset to gain that asset and then trade that asset if need be. And that's the way I look at it. And with the other situations, like, look, I think what I agree with most is how hard it is to find a truly game changing player who's in his prime uh, on the free agent market. Because you basically have Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Uh, two of those guys seem very set in Anthony Davis and Kawhi. Um, kind of a Giannis, hot take. Sure, I, here's my hot, sure. my hot take is this. I think there's a higher chance that AD leaves in the next three years. Uh, well, uh, I guess if we're. Yeah, um, by by let me say by the summer of 2022, I think there's there's a higher chance that AD leaves LA than either of those other two guys leaving their situation. That's my hot take. But yeah, continue. if I had to if I had to rank them, it would be Anthony Davis, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard. I just don't that see would be my Kawhi ranking as well. Right. So um, basically, as I was as I was reading through everything uh, that you wrote, I kind of compiled this giant thing. So I'd love to read it out and hear your thoughts as we go through with it. Is it okay? I would love nothing more than to hear this. Yes. All right. So the first thing is, um, I agree. I don't think RJ is that guy. It doesn't mean he can't be, doesn't mean he can't be, have an impactful role. We've talked about this before in past podcasts. I'm with you on that. Um, in terms of AD with the signing a two and one, I think it really depends on the cap, you know, because the fact is that it's a scaled contract. And so if he's losing out on money next year, why not just essentially have a one-year deal with a player option and uh, you know opt out basically, then get a two-year deal with a one-and-one, one, and then he could opt out of that again and then sign again, and then he gets to 10 years. Can I, I, can I just say I agree with you on that? And, and Let's just set it up in case anybody – this is going over their heads. Uh, Anthony Davis has played in the league for eight years. Um, if you hit the free agent market um, a- after 10 seasons as opposed to nine seasons – you get the ability to sign for up to 35% of the salary cap as opposed to up to 30% of the cap. My my whole point was I think he's going to want to re-enter the market at the 10-year mark so we could get that 35%. I agree with you, though, because he could accomplish the same. I, I said he should sign a 2 plus 1, right? You're mm-hmm. saying he should sign a 1 plus 1, correct? Yeah, I mean, I think he should do exactly what his teammate LeBron did. Just yeah. keep signing one and ones. And yeah. then eventually, because you you hold the Lakers hostage somewhat. You know you're not really going to leave, but you're you're basically putting yourself first. There's an understanding that you want to come back, but there needs to be some changes there. And the reality is that if we're to assume LeBron James is not opting out of his player option, uh, and I think the only reason he would opt I, out of his contract is to get what that guy's gonna more do. money. Yeah, sure. But again, I think that it makes sense for AD to eventually leave. But, but given he, that, they have no supporting cast around these guys who are younger to help carry the torch. They would basically be relying on AD to play the role of recruiter and bringing guys to LA. And just one other thought on that. It, there are maybe, maybe six guys in the entire league 
that have the luxury of signing just the one of of giving up that security because guess what if Anthony Davis breaks his leg on the first on opening night of the 2021 season some team is still going to pay him a four year max so it's like but how many guys that's why you're right about the one plus one because and how many guys in the league can you say that about like seven maybe 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 and but but the point is Anthony Davis is one of them which is why I think you're right he probably does sign the one plus one um anyway okay so continue yeah so um Okay, because we, we talked about some of this other stuff. I mean, like, basically, if AD is a free agent in 2022, like you think he is, um, that's basically the Knicks' last chance to sign two stars in a season. Of course, we don't know what the next, what this offseason and the because next Because they'll have to like, pay RJ and Mitch, correct. is what you're saying. RJ's contract, his cap hold, excuse me, is going to be north of $30 million. I think it's around 32. And Mitch assuming he's still on the team, it really depends on how he does next season, but have to imagine he's in line for, can we say his safe baseline is $15 million? But whatever, whatever it is, but my pushback on that is fine. Let's say you sign those guys to their next contracts. If you have a competent front office in place, which hopefully hiring Brock Oller to, to be their capologist and more will, will do that. Then those those extensions become tradable assets as opposed to you're basically you're not signing into something that you anticipate becoming an albatross that you can't move if someone better comes along. That's right. that's why I hate putting arbitrary um like, oh, they need to do it by this point, otherwise they're they're not gonna be able to like you know, maneuver to make that move. It's it's not so much not able to, it's just it's a it's lot harder. easier to not have to worry about headaches when none exist. Yeah, yes. Okay. But at the, but what I'm saying is like, why worry about RJ's cap hold if you don't have to worry about RJ's cap hold? Because 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 if it's already not if it doesn't exist if the problem's not there then what do you have to worry about? Because everything you're saying I don't I don't, I, I I spend so much time thinking about it. that's why I'm pushing back on this. Everything you're saying is an argument for why they should prioritize the, getting the guy to sign on the dotted line in the next two summers. Essentially, if if I could, can I paraphrase it and, and basically summarize it as, as that? I'd say I'm, I'm saying three summers, but again, but the Make point it, I'm making here is that take a situation like the Nets. Again, if you have D'Angelo Russell, instead of him hitting restricted free agency, he's entering his fourth year. The Nets could then say, and I'm saying pretend that, you know, he was one year ahead in terms of he exploded in his third year instead of his fourth. Let's say that the Nets then get Kyrie and KD and they have D'Angelo Russell. They realize this isn't a great fit, but we know that we have an asset on the last year of a rookie contract. And we know that we've got two stars who really need support. What can we do to trade him for something that really benefits us? And that's my point with, with RJ Barrett is that the moment he hits free agency and he's open to getting some sort of contract and he's eligible for it, you now have more headaches to deal with. So again, it's not, it's not that you can't worry about 2023 or so when it happens, it's just, you have to take into consideration that he's not going to be a fairly cheap player. No, I, I I get that building around that fact. I I get that. I get that a hundred percent. And, and for me, it still comes back to is, is the goal of avoiding that headache 
worth it to prioritize getting like putting yourself in a position to to maintain this massive cap space moving forward at the detriment of other moves which would potentially make you as a franchise more appealing to the guys you want to sign anyway and yes it would make it harder to sign those guys but i guess really the here's the best way to sum, sum up we keep going round, round and round the rosemary bush here there's going to be impediments and 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 roadblocks and difficulties whichever of these paths that they choose and if if one of the paths is just like hey let's just get good um to me and I, I and I'm not saying what you're saying is like against that. Clearly, you want to get good too. You want to sign Fred Van Fleet, for instance, potentially. I'm I'm saying based on the direction, I think that the Knicks are comfortable going with what we've heard or well, what we haven't heard, what we're speculating on with Leon Rose. Which, by the way, I, I know that we agree on the fact that Leon Rose is going to be looking for stars. I mean, what what president of basketball operations or GM wouldn't be, but. We, I feel like there's also a, a discord between when it might happen, That's which true. is I'm of the belief that it won't happen right now. And I think that the stars on the market, realistically speaking, that, for example, you've cited or that you've written about, they're not plausible options to me. And as they're a result- They're not good options. Right. And so basically what I'm getting they're, at- Or they're not is, ideal. <laughs> right. So basically, if you're saying like, hey, these are the guys that are available and they're all crap, um, you don't have to just go with one of them because you need a star. Like I look at it as Leon Rose. It's like all of his friends are married and he's just turned 30 and he has no idea what he's going to do with his life. He's having some sort of crisis. uh, And so like, you know, could he go off and marry someone and have a family and settle down Right now, sure, but he's looking for the right person. I, I and, can wait. Hold on, I need to interrupt you. I just want it noted for the record. I was I was thirty when I got engaged to my wife. I if my wife is, I don't think she listens to my podcast anymore. But if she's still listening, honey, I love you. You you are not any kind of a fallback option. <laughs> I would have married you at 25, 30, 35, 87 years old. I just want I want that out there, Jeremy. You may continue. Good, because I'm not trying to be a home wrecker. But the point being that I have a happy home, Jeremy. Don't fuck (laughs) with my home. I don't see Leon Rose being so adamant to start winning that he trades assets for depreciating pieces. I don't either. And if that's the case, I see the Knicks basically saying, hey, this is our cap space. This is what we've got to work with. The one advantage that we have over everyone is that we have the most money to spend in free agency. So what are we going to do with it? And so that's why I see them basically trying to get good, possibly signing one guy at least, hopefully at most, honestly, to a very long, hardy contract. This summer. And then when the right trade partner and the right star comes to play or comes into focus, you can then use him as salary filler. Like Julius Randle, I know that we all want him gone. At least maybe not all, but. So many. No, no, I, I think I know where you're going with this and I don't hate it. Continue. I'm actually not totally sure if you do, because I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball. I, I bet you I know where you're going with it. What? Okay. So one option, sure, is basically trading him as matching salary and it works out. 
you get a star, you gave up some picks, maybe a promising player, whatever you want to do, you did it. And Julius Randle's contract was used. I think another really cool opportunity, and I would honestly say there's no way this is realistic, but what, everything I've read on Brock Aller's ability to create a traded player exception with an absorbing Mozgov's contract, this actually inspired me to think, what if this is a feasible possibility? What if the Knicks do whatever they do this summer and or this offseason, and then come 2021 when they have an offseason, they look at a team like the Spurs, and the Spurs have a lot of cap space, a ton. I mean, over $80 million projected right As now. As of now, yeah. What happens if the Knicks say to the Spurs, hey, um, you guys got no one on your team. It's a one-year contract of a player who obviously has deficiencies, but you need to spend money anyway. And Pop could probably coach the living hell out of Julius Randle, get rid of all of his problems. There's enough there. Um, we'll give you Julius Randle. We won't take any salary back. And we'll even throw in something if you really want. And if the Spurs say yes, then that gives the Knicks a $19.8 million TPE. And so basically, Which could be what valuable. the Knicks just did is they freed up a bunch of cap space. They can sign whatever player they want. But then over the next 365 days, they have the ability to absorb a player or multiple players for up to $19.8 million without sending anything back. I um, one thing on that, I think with the traded player exception, you could only use it on one player at a time. I think. You, yes, but the basically the Mavs did it where they with the Harrison Barnes trade, yeah, where they got the biggest one in NBA history, and then they made another trade which reduced that TPE, but they were still able to use it on another player. Point oh, being, okay, you've opened up cap space for no, agency and to acquire a a you know like a starting caliber player in a trade. Um, where I thought you were going is basically just saying keep Julius Randle, rehab his value, and then trade him for something. Um, well, that's also – I don't want to – if you can get the right pieces around him, i.e. shooting, then you're able to at least minimize what his deficiencies are. And as a result, I, I'm I'm kind of at the point now where if there's not really a huge point in trading him than to get rid of him, why are we getting rid of him? Yeah, what would you really – get back like you can move him but why um if you're not getting anything of value back yeah i'm i think i've of all the things that um i've come around on the most since the end of since the last time basketball was played i, I want to say the end of the season but it might not be over um is is that is what you just said um don't don't trade him just to get rid of him um because if it's one thing that smart nba teams do it's they don't trade um players when their value is the lowest and I can't imagine Julius Randle's uh, value ever being lower than it is right now. Um, yeah, no, I, I listen, I like that plan. I, I look, Jeremy, I, so much of what I do with this stuff is just exploring every devil's advocate point of view to see if it has any merit, but what, what you want to do, which is essentially have your cake and eat it too. Keep some flexibility, but also make the right signings on the right guys. I it, and and more, it's the correct way to go about it. But it's more to the point. It, it's not different from what I'm saying in, in theory. I guess, and we can maybe finish up on this. Is like 
so often I feel like certain moves get dismissed by some people, some some observers, some fans, some whatever members of Nick's Twitter, whatever you want to say, as like, oh, why would you do that? That's an asshole move. That's ridiculous. That's so stupid. Whereas my, I guess my overall point is that I don't know that any move at this point, unless they're going to tank, which again, I keep, I keep repeating myself, but that's a separate conversation. If they're going to tank, tank, dude, that's its own thing. But if you're going to try to build this team and make it appealing for free agents and the whole thing, I don't think that, like no stone should be left unturned. And that's all I'm saying. At the end of the day, is Fred Van Fleet for four years and $90 million, whatever it's going to be, probably the best move that they could make? Yeah, I would say so. Um, and then you go from there with like shorter term stuff on whatever. But, you know, I just, you know, probably because I have a lot of time on my hands, I just am thinking everything out because I think that there yeah. is there is some value in doing so, even if it's something as ridiculous as like, hey, should the next trade for Kevin Love? And again. Yes, that is ridiculous. Of course, listen, you you put it out there. People are able to take you know from it whatever they like. It doesn't necessarily reflect where you're at in terms of your opinions. You just if you didn't talk about it, then even if you're ruling it out, then it, it would not be a conversation that was able to really take place. And I think that the the quote about the Knicks are probably in the best position to get a star through the trade market was. Very interesting. Again, it could be someone from the past front office. Or you're talking about the Begley piece, by the way. Uh, yes, I believe it was Begley. Yeah, right? no, it's a Begley yeah. piece. And just the one thing I do want to say on that, to your point that you just made, and I think it's a great point. I don't doubt uh, Ian's sources at all. He's the one, along with you know probably Berman and Bondi. I, I don't. I really, really never doubt his sources. Um. And 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 Vork and, and Eisman, I should throw them in there as well. Those those five guys, they're they're trustworthy. Um, someone in the Knicks front office could be telling that to Ian Begley. It doesn't mean that that person is representative of the Knicks of Leon Rose's. Let me rephrase that: of Leon Rose's vision for the team moving forward. So exactly, we should just. Say but that. I, what I will say is that the reason why I think it's so fascinating is because. I look at what the Knicks are doing and unless they can get two really great guys in the building at the same time, it's probably going to be, if they're able to acquire two stars, it would be more of a domino effect. More like what we saw with Kawhi saying, I'm going to LA, but I'm also bringing Paul George with me and you move earth to get him here. Whereas the Knicks could then say, look, let's talk to some game changing player and say to them, Hey, Imagine any player that you want to play with. Who would it be? And they would tell them, say, great, okay, we're going to try to go get him or we're going to do it. So whatever it might be in that sense where it makes a lot of, to me, it makes sense to essentially say like, we're building the team. We've got a good team with you. We're, we're a great team. But if we swap out a couple other pieces that are pretty movable, we can build an elite team. And that's why I'm at the point where it's, I'd love to see some sort of long-term money, if possible, also a short-term contract, open up the books to at least expand your opportunities. But yes, I think a lot of this conversation then changes drastically when we find out what the salary cap is, what Anthony Davis does, um, if Giannis signs a Supermax, which I don't think he will. Basically, all these little things that kind of have to come into play before we can start to say like, well, what really changes? 
And a big thing is that I know we were talking about players who really are not elite and at the top of their game in their prime when they hit free agency. Um, a huge reason is because the 2012, 2013, and 2014 drafts were either just terrible or have very few realistic trade candidates. Um, now, granted, they're, you know, who would have thought Paul George would have been necessarily traded? Or, yeah, I mean, that's, a, that's, a funky, that's a funky scenario. Right. Point B, or, you know, okay, who would have thought Christoph Porzingis might have been traded? Just in that sense. We mm. know the factors. That's true. At least we have a good idea of them. But who, how are we to predict? Um, and the reality is that it then also goes to the trade, the draft market, excuse me, we're figuring out how to draft. We've talked about that before. So it's like there are a million different thoughts swimming about. And I'm of the belief that the Knicks need to use their copious amount of draft picks to trade up in some manner. It could honestly be in the draft and it could be for a star. Who really knows? But they have enough assets for it to be both. Um, but this, this really is a choose your own adventure situation with tanking and competing and then competing, but what, how do you want to do it and why it's a lot? Um, it is so much to the point where it's taken us numerous podcasts. We've each or will each write about this repeatedly and it's not even repeating itself because there's just so much going on. So I guess kind of to tie it all together um, for me, it's just like, just, just don't be in a position where you have to use assets to get out of contracts, because then if you can use them to acquire stars, you're doing something you're, you're moving forward instead of moving backwards. But if you also have to trade away those assets and you get rid of bad contracts and you get a star, it's worth it. It's just a matter of would you rather stars walk in or would you rather have pieces go out and a star coming in? Yeah, I, yeah, no, I, I don't, um, look, obviously in a perfect world. Yeah. You, you want that to be the case. I, it's just, look, it, it, we, we, like you said, we'll talk about this probably a lot more. We've talked about it a lot already. Um, at the end of the day, don't, don't take anything on. That's, that's, that's not an asset at the price you're signing the, the the person for and don't take anything on. That's a worse asset than, than what you're giving out. And if you could, if you could live by those two rules um, <laughs> and obviously, you know, increase it were that easy. Yeah. Right. And, and uh, no, man, listen, it's uh, it sounds, it sounds trite and it is, but um, that's really all it comes down to. Um, I, the, the only thing I want to throw in, I don't, I don't disagree with anything you just said. I just, I am, oh my God, am I oh so leery on ever trading away another future Knicks pick. Um, and, and I know I just, like 10 days ago, whatever it was, 14 days ago, I had a conversation with Schwinn and Drew in which I was entertaining the thought of doing that for, you know, like Donovan Mitchell and a couple other guys. But like, man, that would, ugh. That would that would scare the ever living uh, ever living crap out of me, um, yeah. But that's about it. Um, I think we I think we covered all the bases for today um, sufficiently, and I think this puts a nice cap on a lot of the things that we've kind of been dancing around, which is uh, which is good. Um, maybe we could switch it up and, and go in a different direction for next week. Um, but before that, uh, Jeremy, anything you want to say before we get the hell out of here? Um. Yeah, I'll have part two sometime this upcoming week. 
of my uh, coming up roses, I guess is what I, I titled it. Great. I guess I, I titled it. Great that. title, by the way. Thanks. Yeah. I like so, uh, yeah, that'll be more shifting towards our conversation. But there's one player that I see a lot of Knicks fans really want. And I want to talk about his cap implications and maybe why he's not the best option. But I'm going to I'm going to keep that to myself. And I was about to say, I think that's what they they call a tease in the business. Yeah. I, I, yeah. It's a bit of a tease. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm here for it. I'll be, hey, listen, you got me wondering. I, I, I may or may not ask you who the player is after we stop recording. Um, I, I may or may not talk. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, um, I will have a newsletter, uh, a Monday newsletter. So today, by the time you're listening to this, um, which will um, try to fully uh, extrapolate. Um, a lot of the things that were said here and maybe expand on, on a couple of uh, the finer points uh, a bit more uh, as only something in written form can. Um, but uh, before we get to that, uh, Jeremy, I bid you adieu. And now uh, stick around for another couple of minutes as myself, um, Yash and Bernard uh, recap the latest uh, installment of The Last Dance. I could say is I hope when they're lowering my casket six feet under the ground somebody giving my eulogy or whatever the hell they say at the at the cemetery stands up and says I don't care what they tell me about John of the Macri now no one's gonna convince me that that guy wasn't an asshole Uh, all right, we're, we're going right into it. Um, so we just, we just, uh, for those who don't remember from last week or, um, for, for whatever reason, didn't listen to this segment of the episode. I can't imagine why. Um, we, have, <laughs> we have back with us my buddies, uh, Oz and, and Yash, uh, here to recap, uh, and react in real time to episodes three and four of The Last Dance. Um, so thank you, uh, gentlemen, for coming on once again. Uh, let's get some. Oh, we get some initial impressions. Um, Yash, you're younger. Why don't we go with you first? Oh, okay. Well, uh, the years have not been kind to Gary Payton. <laughs> That's the, your first take. Oh God, I can't even. <laughs> the the glove has become the puffy winter coat. <laughs> Terrible. He was on for like one segment. Yeah, and that's how noticeable it was. Um, there were a ton of great quotes from this episode. Too many to choose from. Uh, some of my favorites were uh, when Jordan was given that old cliche, oh, there's no iron team. He goes, well, there's an iron win. That was good. That was good. That's classic Jordan. Yeah, classic and classy. Even I would, I would even go so far as to say, in comparison to some of the other stuff uh, from the episode, which maybe you know not as much. Um, yeah, good quotes, good, good quotes. B- Bernard, what do you, what do you got? What's your takeaway? Well, I really needed a triangle trigger warning before starting episode four. Oof. This time, hey, they uh, just, the, they just went right into that it. That was, it was a lot for me, and uh, I wasn't mentally prepared for that. And really, just a, a little blurb of warning would have made me feel a lot better. 
But uh, I, I will say I, I was brought to life this week by all of the tales of Rodman's Vegas adventures, including the appearance of Carmen Electra on, uh, on our TV screens tonight. God, uh, she still looks fucking t- good. Listen, can we, we, we need to – Jordan, Pippen, Rod, that's all great. She's 48 years old. I mean, I, listen, they may have filmed this when she was, what, 47? But she's – whatever. It's 48, 47. I don't care how much work she's had done because work, work goes bad. Uh, and, <laughs> yes. You yes, know, it does. <laughs> first of all, it can, it can start – it could just be bad right off the, the bat, and then it could age poorly. Um, wow. I, just, I, I don't even have the words to express – if four, if they were 48 years old. That's I mean, she's still working hard to keep herself in shape. And you can't really do that with just plastic surgery. No. Uh, yes, you can. <laughs> well, I mean, listen, you can do a lot of things. Did you see the, the outfit she had on, too? There was like a, a, a fishnet <laughs> really? situation with the with the uh, in the mid mid midriff uh, area there. I'm pretty sure that was in her contract. Like, if you're going to appear in this documentary, you have to be wearing fishnet. <laughs> I mean, but wow. Um, I mean, I, I can understand why it made Jordan give the, the quote of the night, which was his body made it here, Phil. Don't ask for too much. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. How old was she? By the way, because so this was what? This was 90. This is the beginning of the season, or I guess whatever. It was 97. 97 into 98 and it's we're in 2020 now so she was a she was a spry 25 25 at the time i bet i bet she uh she kept up with rodman uh during that i I mean it's the obvious takeaway from the episode that's what we need the 10-part documentary series on the however many hours in vegas that that rodman spent (laughs) Dennis Rodman Vegas trip. No, I, yeah, if we don't I'm get thirty for, for thirty, Rodman's Vegas. This is all. This is all a waste. So, the um, our favorite quote from last week was, "I wasn't going to fuck up my summer." Yes, by Scotty Pippen. Well, I went and did a little bit of research on what Scotty was doing during his summer. Oh, we're going to go right into this now. Okay. Let's... Oh, I, I, I think so. So <laughs> well, I mean, you're, is, you're bringing it up. May so. as well get canceled at the four minute mark. That's good. <laughs> Well, I mean, there was this uh, wonderful quote from Johnny Bach, fellow Fordham alumnus and assistant coach of the Bulls, uh, about the rivalry between Jordan and Pippen. And uh, according to the legend, Scotty was very well endowed, <laughs> which legitimately bothered Jordan. Could you hear my forehead hitting the table? <laughs> <laughs> I, I couldn't actually. But, uh, yeah, well, so the quote was. From Johnny Bach, you should have seen the girls Pippen had waiting for him everywhere we went. Madonna, who made an appearance in this episode, used to pick him up in a limo with a hot tub every time we went to L.A. Michael used to tell Madonna he could satisfy her better, to which Madonna would tell him, not a chance. This is an actual, where did you get this from? This is from a Elite Daily article. What the fuck is that? <laughs> That's not a real thing. You made that up. You're probably the editor-in-chief of the Elite Daily. <laughs> <sighs> Whatever. Okay. So, great. Scotty was well... Um, I mean, the voice, the deep voice, that's, you know, 
it lends some credibility to it. Um, yeah. So everybody had some Madonna except Michael. Is that what you're? That's that's what drove him to win six six rings. You know, I I think so. I think Madonna told him not a chance, and you can imagine how that would burn somebody like Michael Jordan up. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, he used he channeled that rage into winning six championships. <laughs> that's what it took for him to finally beat the bad boys Pistons. Yeah, that's why he trained in the weight room to go at them. I have I have to say I've seen how many videos have we all seen of like. Uh, or documentary type things of of the the Bulls having to overcome the Pistons. I have to say that was really well done. That that segment of the show. Oh, it was tremendous. Yeah, and I know I you. Say, you I have just just to cut you off for one second. I have the after show on on ESPN right now on uh, the background, and they just had a a tweet up from uh, from our friend Spida Mitchell saying that Dennis Rodman invented load management in Vegas. <laughs> You know, I I was about to ask if you added up if you took the best forty eight hours of your life, and I'm I'm not talking I'm not talking about forty eight consecutive hours. I'm talking about you could grab literally like eighty seven <laughs> seconds here, fifty two seconds there, two minutes here. I you know I don't care if it's forty eight hours worth of orgasms. I don't think that you could equal the amount of fun that Dennis Rodman had in Vegas. It's just. <laughs> I'm really I, I I'm speechless. Um, yeah, so good load management. You really you can't write this stuff. Um, I mean, what kind of loads are we talking about? I, we don't right we now? don't need to we don't need to get into that. Um, there was some other good stuff from the episode. So we we got some we got some Isaiah Thomas. We got a lot more Isaiah Thomas than we did last week. Um, as as we did uh, more Phil Jackson. Um, uh, which of those yeah. two was more painful for? Nick you know, here. Isaiah was way worse. Holy shit, it had me twitching. <laughs> that smug motherfucker. That God. little smirk on his face the entire time. MJ's right. There's no way you can convince me he wasn't an asshole. Well, that's you know what, what. Yeah, what? Yeah. Like seeing Isaiah, I mean, age has, the years have been kind to Isaiah. I mean, that guy, for whatever reason, I don't know what is going on with him. He should get he with looks, uh, Carmen Electra. Is he married? I, I shouldn't speak. Yeah, I have no idea, but know. you know what? He looks way better than Jordan does these days. Well, I mean, yes, but Jordan, listen, Jordan. Well, Jordan didn't have to run the Knicks, so in in uh, well, actually, no that that would that would actually be a reason why why he should look uh, why Thomas should look. Work. Yeah, really, even cons- right. considering yeah. he had to work what with is, Dolan. What the hell is his secret? What is his secret? I don't know. He doesn't even have a gray hair. It's in straight up bitches. That's. I mean, that's. Was going to be my line of the night had it not been for the asshole. And you know what was best about Jordan delivering that line is like you could tell how utterly dismissive he is of Thomas as like anything close to appear to him. And it's just it's fantastic. I loved it. Um, I also enjoyed that's not equal opportunity offense. That's bullshit. That was fun. Um, yeah, it was good. Yeah. I mean, speaking of fuck this bullshit by Ron Harper. That was great. Oh, that was yeah. That was there's a lot of good ones. Um, we had a we had a, a Doug Collins hair situation. Um, oh. early on, I, I want to say it was. Hold on, I took a picture of it. It was uh, Miro uh, tweeted out 
Doug Collins with the traveling cocaine circus hair. <laughs> well, it stood out because at the end of his tenure, he did not have the perm anymore. But early on, the perm was was in full force. Was that a thing in the eighties? I guess. Like, if you were a man, you just went out and got a perm. I don't know, John. You were like what thirty five in the eighties. Okay, I mean, that's be able to listen, tell. make it plausible <laughs> at least. Um, yeah, no, that's. Uh, that was that was interesting, um, and then we had Phil. We had a lot of Phil. Is it how wrong is it of me that I watched that and at the end I'm like, man, kind of, kind of wish he could have got a little more time here. That's that's I agree. That's, that's oh yeah, I, I agree completely. Yeah, I mean, the man wanted to trade KP sooner. The package that he had on the table was way better than what we ended up getting for him. Yeah. Like we could have gotten Jalen Brown and a first round draft pick. I think we would have taken that and ran compared to the garbage. Listen, we, ended up getting. we don't we don't besmirch uh, slang and wood on this this podcast. But continue. <laughs> oh, God, oh my favorite Phil quote of the night: Dennis and I have this Native American bond between us. <sighs> Are you kidding me? Can I? I I, I have to. I, I do. I consider myself very. Very PC, very very woke, uh-huh. and I was a right. bit. I, listen, I, this may shock you, but my 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 students actually find me to be very uh, very woke. Uh, Yash, you sh- you should wake up. Maybe I think that's the. Um, I was a you bit. Got me. I, I was a bit taken aback by the fact that he he used the word Native American there, and then the rest of the time he he said Indian, which yeah. I, was. You know, I don't know. This is okay. This is the guy appropriating all of this native culture and Eastern philosophy, but came out in support of Arizona's racist immigration law. How do you know this? So, like Phil Jack, what are you doing, Phil Jackson? I, I mean, I got, I got no patience. What are you doing, Yash? Researching on on that issue at least. I mean, how he ran the Knicks, you should have gotten more time, but. No. Native American bond between you and Dennis Rodman. Get the fuck out of here. Hey, listen, it, it worked. Something worked. Um Yeah, so that was uh that was good. What do we what do we forget? I'm sure there's some other stuff that we've we've glossed over before we got it we get out of here. Um uh, Yeah, that music in the, in this episode, not just the needle drops, but the actual orchestral music they play. It's NFL films caliber. Mm. So good. Great music. That's what we need, Bernard. Give us the give us the film nerd. Uh, give us some, a couple of film nerd things from these this part of the documentary. You must have something else on your mind. I know you do. Well, that, that that's the first one. The other one, they, they and I said it last week. They keep up the credibility by by making Jordan look like a fucking prick half the time. The <laughs> the Scott Burrell stuff at the end was fantastic. Yo, mom and dad, he's an alcoholic. But that man, was get that was fucking sleep. So good, so vicious. Is it that? It's it's is it that frowned upon to call someone an alcoholic? I mean, I can call both of you alcoholics right now, and I wouldn't lose one wink of sleep. Um, but I guess well, that's because you yourself are an alcoholic, and the alcohol helps you get. See again, you're not going to sleep any worse by saying that, and no one's thinking ill of you. Um, I just don't think that you're that you're calling up Yasha's parents and telling them about his alcoholism. That's the difference. What Yash's yeah. parents don't listen to this podcast? That's I'm ashamed. <laughs> um, you know what? I, my dad has been listening, and he wouldn't care. He'd be like, <laughs> you know what? 
I'm the one sitting with an empty bottle of wine in front of me, so I, I probably should not speak. Yeah, no, that was me too. There you go. Well, I I saw you on Zoom before. You're, you're you look like you're several bottles deep. Um, yeah, no, my, Michael. You know what? I, so you, I mean, you guys know this. Michael Jordan is my favorite um, non Nick basketball player ever, and uh, I you know I always worshipped him growing up. And and this documentary through four episodes has made me like him so much more. Agreed. Because mm-hmm. it's like the myth is real now. It's like, this is, I I don't know, this is how I feel. This is exactly the guy that I wanted him to be. If if you buy that this is him for real, which I do. I think this is actually, this is what he is. Yeah, I mean, he's he's drinking scotch throughout. Like, he's honest. Well, that, you know. <laughs> always bringing it back to alcohol. People are going to think we're degenerates, Yash. Well, you do refer to us as your degenerate friends every time you have us on. So oh, only Only on air. Um, right only on air people know what they're getting into no it, it it really but it's it's striking because um he i don't know and maybe this is his his greatest trick he he's really uh pulled off um the the notion of like he it feels like you're watching him being very introspective and honest with himself and uh I don't know. It's, it's, it, that's for me, I, I, as great as all the quotes are and like the, the footage and like, we didn't even mention Jerry Krause dancing on the plane. Oh my God. Oh God. Okay. Can we talk about Jerry Krause for a second? Um, yeah. I was, I was what? just going to say, but yeah, the, the Jordan stuff for me is what makes the documentary great. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about Jerry Krause. Go. Yeah. By the end of the episode, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but my hatred of that man is it's risen to a homicidal fury. They, like, <laughs> Who, who the fuck is Jerry Krause? Like, you're going to tell the biggest superstar the NBA has ever had, who finals ratings are a third of what they've been since Jordan retired. You're going to tell that guy that he can't have his coach. And oh, I guess I guess we're just going to build it. We'd like to have him back. But if he doesn't want to play for Phil, then I'm going to stick another coach on him. Who the fuck are you? What do you mean you're gonna stick another coach on him? He's a no. He's a guy that got no respect, and he wanted respect. Oh God! You know who he and is? He, he's James Dolan. That's who he is. He except he's one. <laughs> well, he got lucky enough to inherit Michael Jordan, but he also did a lot of other great things. I'll, I'll give him that. Um, and he never got credit for where, those things. Yeah, but that's where the owner needs to step in. Jerry Reinsdorf. He's another prick who I. I <laughs> Went and did a little research on Jerry Reinsdorf. Look because, at you preparing. Wow. Yeah, he, I don't even prepare for this podcast. And you're preparing <laughs> for. Well, because obviously we talked a little bit about him last time and, yes, and his whole mentality and not paying Scottie Pippen and how stupid and short-sighted that was. Well, Jerry Reinsdorf, as it turns out, is this virulently anti-union guy in any situation, uh, just anti-labor, whoever works for him. And okay, there's again there there's pros and cons to that position depending on the situation. But like these, you're talking about Michael Jordan here. You're talking about a guy who's bigger than your franchise, bigger than the sport. Even the sport has never recovered him retiring. And they wait, wait, hold on, wait, what? This 
The sport has never recovered from him retiring? Did you just say that or did I hear things? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Look, I mean, oh God, God. the ratings. Yes, please don't cite TV ratings for this premise again because that's a fucking shitty metric. It really is. Do people care about the NBA nearly as much as they did when he was playing? But yes. Th- Engagement is off the charts. You got to use social media. You have to recognize where it is and TV ratings relative to what the ratings were 30 years ago. Yes is the answer to your question. How about, how about this? How about this? What's the most important, significant thing in pop culture this weekend and last weekend and the next three weekends? It's this documentary. And of course, the, the easy comeback, if I if I was you, would be, well, yeah, it's yeah. about Michael yeah. Jordan. Yeah. Exactly. But but do you think if the NBA was not popular now that it would it would garner the amount of interest that it has? I think that's a little so silly. What I, what I mean by that is it's not that the NBA isn't popular now. It is still I mean it's firmly the third sport in this country behind football and baseball. Uh well, well, excuse me? How's yeah. how's baseball doing in terms of like its stature in the po- in popular culture? And Bernard, maybe actually, I was say, I'm I'm the baseball guy, and well, revenue and attendance might favor baseball. That's because they play twice as many games. Revenue basketball just has a, high, a better cultural footprint right now. I mean, revenue, attendance, and TV ratings—all of those things favor. I mean, we're they, we just TV saying? ratings don't favor baseball. It's not even close. Basketball blows them away. Who's watching? Is uh, like Sunday night baseball. I remember when that was a thing. Once upon a time, it's, it's sure shit isn't anymore. Like it's a it's a localized sport. Um, it is ba- baseball is a regional sport where you follow your team in your region. So the Yankees do huge ratings in New York, and no one gives a shit anywhere else. Basketball is not like that. Basketball is still a national sport. I mean, look, what are the World Series ratings compared to the NBA Finals ratings? Is it way worse? worse? They're worse? The World Series is worse? Significantly worse. Now, you got to sort by game. If you have a game seven, it perks up big, but significantly worse. Listen, they have not done a good job. I'll bet it's 8 to 10 million viewers less. It's it's still not. Look, uh, maybe I'm wrong about this. when When we were growing up, basketball was, when Jordan was playing, was huge. I mean, the cultural footprint when Jordan was playing, I mean, when Space Jam came out, like he was just this superstar of superstars. And yeah, but when Jordan was playing, half the teams in the NBA were pulling like 75% attendance. There's no one below like 85% right now. Yeah. And and I think, yeah, I think it's a little unfair to, to grade on that that scale i mean he's he's a once in a generation athlete sure yeah that is why you take care of your once in a generation athlete okay forget the my maybe hyperbolic comments about the sport what did what happened to the bulls by not taking care of well no look listen jerry jerry cross fucked up there's no there's no two ways back they both fucked up yeah fine they both fucked up but i i guess but look I, i i hear what you're saying um but I, I also think, I don't know. Maybe this is just me because the maybe because the Knicks made the finals the next year. But I think it worked out for the best. I think it's, I don't, <laughs> you know, no. I mean, listen, it it it's, and I'm I'm gonna be curious to see because I'm sure in the last uh, episodes everybody's gonna reflect on like um, what would have happened if they played, you know, the next year, and like how would it have 
changed their legacy if maybe they played that next year and and they didn't make the finals or they didn't win a championship. I mean, assuming they would have gone up against uh, Duncan and Robinson, and the Spurs. Um, I don't know. I just oh, I think that. I think they would have beaten Duncan and Robinson first. Maybe, probably. I don't know. But it's like, it does it. What does it matter? It's like they're already considered the greatest dynasty of all time, other than the Celtics, who played in a league where there was eight teams or whatever the hell it was. So it's like, I don't know. I think it's fitting. Um, it's just it's storybook. All of it's storybook, and that's what this for more than anything. That's what the documentary reinforces for me. This whole thing, the whole Jordan experience in Chicago, was was. It was a storybook, and it was as you could not write it any better. Right down to Rodman playing, you know, or not playing, uh, taking forty-eight hours or however many hours in Vegas. Just, you can't write this shit. <laughs> yeah. No, and, and I mean, yeah, yeah. Who who's the biggest American star athlete in the world today? Active. I mean, there's only one choice. There's only one choice. It's not even fucking close. So you're going to say LeBron? The answer is LeBron James. There's no one else in the competition. You want to talk about some fucking soccer player? No, I mean, I, I, I think, just don't give a shit. But it's I, LeBron I think, James, period. I think Brady's in the conversation That's as much as I hate him. <laughs> That's, it is a little. How about this? That's divorced from reality. How about this? Mike Trout could walk into my house right now. and Well, not right now because my wife is sleeping. But let's say my wife was up and Mike Trout walked in our house right now. She might now. not mind that, actually. Well, listen, my, the, the ways I don't satisfy my wife are a conversation for a different, different <laughs> he's a episode. He's a fellow. He's, he's, he's stocky. Um, maybe he could have landed Madonna. Who knows? Um, but my, my point is that she's a, she's a legit sports fan and I, I think she might not recognize him. And he's like, I think he's still the best baseball player. Hey, how about that? I'm a pretty big sports fan, and I can't even say unequivocally like Mike Trout is still the best baseball player. That's the type of thing that I would have known 20, 15, 10, five years ago. And I just like, I don't know. Sure, but John, you're not the typical sports fan. You're obsessed with the NBA. You have an NBA podcast. That's That's, Yeah, no, that's fair. My interests have changed a little bit. All right, uh, we've careened off the road. Anything we got to say before we get the hell out of here? Get yep. the ball to Michael and everyone else get the fuck out of the way. Oh, that was so great. That was really, yeah, really good. That was that was pretty great. I mean, poor Doug Collins. It uh no, I'm I'm looking forward to doing this again. This and as much as it's bitterly disappointing to see that team broken up for no reason, um, enjoying the ride with you guys has been pretty great so far. <laughs> Look Dream at the team this week, gentlemen. Oh yes, yes. I did. You guys read the three team uh, book? I think it's McCallum. I did read it. It's great. I know. I have it on my. It's one of. It's if anyone out there is listening and and just likes reading about basketball, order yourself on you know Kindle or or whatever the Dream Team book by Jack McCallum. It is phenomenal. I'll be curious if we get anything um, that wasn't in that book uh, next week. I'm I'm excited about it though. Uh, how long is the book? Would oh, I be able to dude, you'll it read it next week. You'll read it in a weekend. It's, it flies it, by. It's may, I may might be two hundred pages. I don't know. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know what? That's my goal for this week to try and finish that book there for the next know. podcast. Well, I I will hold you to that. Yash, any final thoughts before we get out of here of something that I won't have to edit out? <laughs> 
You know what? I don't think I have anything I can say that could meet that standard at this point. <laughs> Too much brown liquor in me. Sorry. All right. We, we'll get in uh, just under the uh, 1130 mark, which is good. Uh, Oz, Yash, thank you once again for joining me uh, for uh, this recap. And everybody out there at home, uh, stay safe, stay inside. Um, and we will be back with you uh, with another episode uh, very shortly. Yeah.